Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. This is uh, week five of our Flow series. This has been an amazing week for our staff, for our leadership. We were together uh, in our district conference. We're part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. We're part of a district that includes all of New Jersey, New York City, Long Island, and some of the Hudson Valley. And the theme for this week at the conference was in the spirit. And it was so interesting that as we were listening to the different uh, sermons and messages and the way the Spirit moved, it was so much like what's going on here. And I, I wanted to report that to you because I want you to understand He's not inviting you alone. He's inviting our entire region. The Spirit is moving in leaders and individuals and churches throughout this region, which means that this invitation to you is a very special one for this season. Please don't miss it. Now, one of the illustrations this week that caught my attention was by a pastor by the name of Rich Velotis. And Rich explained that there are two types of tea drinkers. I really don't care because I'm a coffee drinker, but uh, I, I thought it was interesting information. So he said there are people who, when they're preparing their tea, they dip. That seems like a lot of work <laughs> for very little result. And then there are people who dwell. And so the dippers try to control that the tea not tastes too strong. The dwellers want the concentrated full taste of the tea. And the longer it dwells, the more the tea saturates the water. And then he said, some people with the Holy Spirit are dippers. They like to control when and where and how much. So they dip when they're desperate. They dip when they're out of money. They dip when their family's in trouble. They dip when their job is in trouble. So basically, they dip, and it's not about the Spirit, it's about them. And then there are dwellers. David was a dweller. He says, one thing do I ask, one thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so the question this morning is, are you a dipper? Or are you a dweller? And the truth is that you cannot have the fullness of God and you cannot have the fullness of the love of God unless you're a dweller. Now this is is so fascinating to me is that the Holy Spirit is the personalized expression of the love the Father has for the Son and the love the Son has for the Father, and He is the divine resident in the heart of every believer. So the Holy Spirit is the fullness of what's going on in the Trinity living in you. And this is not a lesser spirit. It is the same spirit that Jesus lived His perfectly obedient life, did His sacrificial death, Did his miracles, his signs, his wonders, was raised from the dead. You don't have a lesser spirit. You have the same spirit. So when you dip, you get just a little. But when you dwell, you get all of it. So we've been pushing that for about four weeks of of you beginning to understand that when you actually begin to dwell and you let yourself dwell in this person that it's different than having a relationship with an it, a thing, a force, a power, a program. 
It's learning how to relate and live with another person. We had a, a, a gathering, a, a date night for couples Friday night, and Dr. Martin Sanders asked a question that sometimes we don't like to ask in our couples. And the question was, who's in control of the relationship? And uh, none of us want to hear our spouse or our loved one say, you're so controlling. You're so manipulative. You are so, you know, you have all the leverage in our relationship. And so a lot of us are only in relationships where we have control. And we will only keep people around us that we can control. And, you know, we use all kind of methods for control. We, we pout. We withhold. We get angry. We get bigger and louder and more persuasive. And we just do what we want to do. And we say we're sorry as if that does anything. You know, but the problem is you can do that with a spouse an employer, employee, a family member, you can't do that with the Holy Spirit. You have no leverage. You withhold, you're hurting you. He has everything you need. You have nothing he needs. And the only way you relate to God is not by how much leverage you can get or how valuable you are, the only way you relate to God is that to your account has been put all the work of Jesus. You see, he was treated the way you deserve so that now you're treated the way he deserves. So when you go, I don't deserve this, you really aren't understanding what you deserve at all. So the Apostle Paul makes it really clear that if you're going to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit in a dwelling way, not a dipping way, then in Galatians 5.18 he says, if you are led by the Spirit, then you are no longer under law. Now, think about this with me. And he says here, and he means it, there's only two ways to live. You either live by the Spirit, in other words, the Spirit leads, which means you're not in control of the relationship. You have yielded or surrendered the control to the leadership of the Spirit, which is an active leadership. It's not simply you studying the Bible, figuring out principles, and doing the best you can. Being led by the Spirit is clearly, Jesus' word says, my sheep hear my voice. Now, that voice will never be in contrary to the truth of the Scriptures, but that voice is personal, it's relational, it's intimate. You have to hear His voice to be led by Him. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, which means He's intimately involved, He's intimate and vulnerable with them. And then He says, and then they follow Me. So there's always this relationship of a dwelling Holy Spirit That has to be that you're the follower, he's the leader. But the issue that Paul brings up is if that's not true of you, even if you are a Christian but you're not being led by the Spirit, he says then you're living under the bondage of law. Now here's here's what that means. Under, Under the law, there is only right and wrong, there is only true and false, There is no gray area under the law. The law does not have mercy. The law does not have grace. The law has a perfection to it, but it has no healing power in it. Jesus taught this really clearly when he healed a leper. Leprosy was a disease that made you morally and spiritually unclean. So the law could say to the leper... You are unclean. Or the law could say to a leper, you are clean, but the law could do nothing for the leprosy. So the leper met Jesus. He was an outcast. He was spiritually and emotionally and culturally outcast, but he came to Jesus. Jesus did not fear leprosy. 
Leprosy would not make him unclean. He would make the unclean clean. And so he spoke to that leper. He healed the leper of his leprosy. But then he said something really interesting. He said, go show yourself to the priest so the priest can judge by the law. And the priest said, he is clean. You see, the law can say you're clean or the law can say you're unclean, but it can do nothing for your condition except to diagnose it. So when you are under the law, all you will ever receive is what you deserve. Now, the problem for a lot of us is we think we deserve so much more. I mean, how many of you go, oh, I am making so much more money than I deserve? Oh, at work, they treat me uh, so much better than I deserve. Oh, I have a family that's just so much better than I deserve. Very few of us say that, if any of us. Most of us are like, this is not the life I, I bargained for. You know, even if you are a great person and everything's going great for you, here's what Jesus had to say about the law. He said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, don't even have lust in your heart. Because if you have lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. I think the speaker didn't like that one. (laughs) Or else that was a, you know... collective sigh going on there. I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, even if you get away with that one, you say, well, you know, I don't have much lust, Pastor. How about this one? You've heard it said, Jesus said, that do not commit murder, do not kill. But I say to you, if you hate your brother, you have committed murder. I've seen you guys drive. You hate your brother. I mean, we can't even make it on the Palisades without some hating going on. (laughs) Here's what the Apostle James says. If you break one commandment, you've broken all commandments. I mean, have you ever looked at the commandments of God in its summary and thought that it said, love the Lord your God with a little bit of your heart, a little bit of your soul, little bit of your mind, a little bit of your strength? Or does it say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul? That sounds like a dwelling approach, not a dipping approach. Here's the problem, friends. If you live under the law, you will get what you deserve. And the wages of sin is death. But here's what Paul says. He says, yes, you can work and you can live under the law, but all you'll get is a salary. It'll never satisfy you. But if you live by faith, you will receive the gift. Where do you want to live? Do you want to live in the meager outcome of your work and your salary? Or do you want to live in the limitless gifting of the Holy Spirit? Only being led by the Spirit leads you out from under the law, which can only diagnose you, into the place of the Spirit who can heal even the leper of their leprosy and make the unclean clean. But in order to be led by the Spirit, it has to be far more personal than simply studying your Bible, getting some principles, and then you figuring out how to live. It has to be relational, and it has to be constant. Notice what Paul says in Galatians 5.20. It says, if you're going to live by the Spirit, then you also have to keep in step with the Spirit. So here is the whole real crux of the matter of fullness and fulfillment in your life. The Spirit's moving. You must move with Him. He leads, not in sense of just morality and principle, he leads in sense of day-by-day, moment-by-moment movement. And the the question is, for those who want to dwell in the Spirit, is will you keep in step with the Spirit because he's moving? And so I want to unpack this in a way because you can't fulfill the true assignments of your life unless you can be led by the Spirit. And so I want to say, how does the Spirit lead? 
Why is it that his leading seems so risky to us? And then what kind of results can I expect? Now, I have this tendency to think I have much more time than I have words. So I won't get to the fourth question. You can read about it in the devotional, okay? So the, the first thing is how, and there is no other how, friends, than faith. You cannot, you cannot keep in step with the Spirit if you're not growing and being strengthened in your faith, and you will not be strengthened in faith unless you risk. Some people will say faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That there is no real faith without risk. Can I, can I just kind of unpack this psychologically for you or physiologically even? In a sense, that left side of your brain is the side that wants to keep you safe, keep you right, keep you responsible. You know, it's the deductive side. It's more your logical side. And so that, that left side is always connected to the past, connected to what you already know. And so... In a way, the left side will often trigger fear. When you're asked to do something that you don't know how to do or you haven't done before. And faith is always originating not in the deductive side or the logical side. Faith is always originating in what the Bible calls the heart. And the heart is more the creative side. It's the more intuitive side of you. It's that still, small voice of God inside of you residing and speaking to you. And so there has to be this part of you that says, look, just because my left side doesn't want to do this or is telling me it's a risk doesn't mean it's not faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, you don't have them yet. But because, you see, because you've allowed God to speak into your heart, it's already real to you before it is physical to you. It's the conviction of things unseen. What you've begun to believe, and, and this feels illogical at times, even maybe irrational to some people, but that which is unseen now is more real to me than what is seen. The unseen Lord, the one who's like the wind that I can't see, but I know his effect is more real to me than what I'm looking at right now. Because I've learned that I have to believe what he's told me, even when it's not yet realized. Because if I believe it, I will see it. But if I say I'll only believe it when I see it, I won't see it. But here's the thing. He, he teaches us how really to have genuine faith. He teaches us how to have authentic faith. You don't have it right from the beginning. You don't have it in its fullness. It has to develop. It has to grow. And so those risks are essential. You see, if you could plan your life, you would plan your life with an ever, you know, safe comfort zone perspective. He has to plan your life to destabilize your comfort zone. Because your potential is always outside of your comfort. And so he has to destroy in some ways your comfort zone to get you to your potential. Now, the other thing is this. There's a way your brain functions. You and I are very security-oriented. We're very safety-oriented. We want what we want, and we want to control it. We want to control outcomes. We want to control results. Therefore, we end up controlling people. But here's the thing with God, is God will drop his thoughts into your mind, either through words, pictures, scriptures, songs, other people speaking to you, just kind of out of the blue, it seems like, because God is not bound by your thoughts. He wants to give you his thoughts. I, I have been in so many churches that, that what they do in prayer is they tell God what he should do for them. And they tell God what they're going to do for him. And then they say, bless this. And then they're shocked that he doesn't bless it. But you see, that is so cold and impersonal. When you tell God, here's my plans. Uh, if you want to come along, fine. Or, or if you say, look, I'm praying. Other people don't even pray. I pray you should bless me. Cold and impersonal. It will never be effective prayer till it's listening prayer and then you pray what you hear. Because if your prayer is the leader, he's not going to follow. 
You may say, bless me, bless me. And he says, I'm not blessing that mess. I'm going to let you see what a mess it is so that you'll stop doing it this way. See, he is trying to interrupt your train of thought. He is bringing spontaneity, not just this kind of conformity, but spontaneity to the faith journey. God has a plan for you that's bigger than you can imagine. It is as big a difference between you and God as it is between a three-year-old and their parent. The three-year-old may think they know what they need, but only the parent really knows what they need. But you have a parent that knows what you'll be like 60 years from now, or 50 years, or however many years you have left. I'm, I'm saying 60 I want to be 120, I guess. <laughs> but our problem is, even as we start to listen to God sometimes, it's, it, gets, it goes through the distortion of our own thoughts and of our own desires. So I had this, this opportunity to, to commit ourselves, Lisa and I together, we committed ourselves. We're going we're gonna to live by the Spirit. We're going to walk by the Spirit. We're going to listen to the Spirit. But he put me in this church that I hated to pastor. As a matter of fact, I, didn't, I was the pastor and I didn't want to go to that church. It was horrible. And, and I was just like, oh God, get me out of here. You know, let me go somewhere else. Let me do something else. And I was trying to revitalize this one church, and then since I was doing that one, they said, well, you can do two at the same time, and I like the other church better. And so I started praying and saying, God, can we move away from this, and can we go to that? And I heard a little bit of an inkling of the Spirit say, yes, I'm going to move you, and yes, you're going to be able to buy a house. Well, I said, that's it. I'm doing it now. So immediately I jumped on this wagon and went and found a house. And, I, and of course I was manipulating because I got Lisa her dream house so she couldn't say no. <laughs> and I get there and I get the house and we buy the house and the house we're selling fell through and now I have two houses. Which is awesome except when you're on a pastor's salary. Because now I'm having to pay two mortgages and within a few months all our savings was gone. And I, and I remember being angry. God, how could you do me this way? I thought I heard from you. He said, yeah, you did, but you didn't ask when. You didn't ask how. You didn't ask anything. So I let you do what you wanted to do so you could see that you weren't listening. That you were just listening to hear what you wanted to hear. And so Lisa and I, because again, God is good. Listen to me. Please, I, I got I to have you see this. Our God is so humble that even if all you are is a dipper, He still lets you have a taste. Even if you're just using Him, He lets you have a taste of His love, His power, His peace, His joy. Even if it's just for you and you're going to turn away again, He still lets you have a taste. I got to tell you something. If it were me... I would destroy you for that. <laughs> Come on. If, have you, haven't you ever been with people that all they're doing is using you? Yes. That you can tell you're nothing but a cog in their plan? I mean, if I had almighty power, I would smite those suckers, you know? <laughs> and yet our God lets us dip for a while. Because you see, he doesn't want you to be unhealthy in your relationship. And so what he did with Lisa and me, particularly with me, is he said, you're not going to hear the solution to the problem you have created unless you stop. So we took five days and we prayed for five days. And during that time, spontaneous visions, insights, revelations, his presence filled our house our relationship got stronger. We knew what to repent of. And by the fourth day, we had a full price offer on our house and we sold it and God blessed us really powerfully. You see, 
you can't keep running your games and you can't keep going in your fast direction and really begin to cultivate what God has given you as a new creation. You have within you a faith instinct, but it has to be developed. It can't be in the midst of busyness. It can't be in the midst of demandingness. It has to be that you separate yourself out and you say, Lord, what are you dropping into my thoughts today? What pictures are you giving? What senses or insights are you giving to me? And, and the truth is, all you have to have for that instinct to start really developing is hunger. I've studied the scripture. It doesn't say clean up this or do this or do that. It just says, all who are thirsty, let them drink. All who are hungry, let them eat. And Jesus says, if you're thirsty enough, I'm going to give you living water. And then I'm going to do even more than that. Out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. You just, the hunger, the thirst, the desire is the requirement. And, and so sometimes he has to devastate your plans so that you'll realize that you're planning out of your hunger, but you're not listening out of your hunger. And the only thing that keeps us usually is fear. See, faith and fear can't live in the same soul. One will flourish, the other will starve to death. So you have to decide, is it going to be fear? Which, think about this, fear destroys your body. It limits your potential. He's not keeping you from something good. He's trying to turn you away from something bad so that you begin to have faith because faith connects you to the limitless power of God. See, you can't live the Christian life without it being spiritual, and you can't connect to the spiritual without faith. So this is a quote that I thought made a lot of sense. It's what we're really going for in this whole series. The church today needs spirit-equipped people speaking spirit-inspired words, doing spirit-led, spontaneous acts. These prophetic activities from ordinary, spirit-filled people bring forth the boldness and witness, certainty in our hopes and visions, and fruitfulness and mission. See, as you allow yourself by faith to keep in step with the Spirit, it produces in you a spiritual boldness. You may not be bold in personality. It doesn't matter. This is a spiritual boldness. Its source is not your personality. Its source is Jesus in you. He was bold as a lion. Okay? But also, it produces certainty. You see, you will live this life in an uncertain world, but when you keep in step with the Spirit... Every step you take is certain because he's giving you the hope. He's giving you the vision. He's giving you the insights. And so you can move with certainty. And then why in the world would you want a life that isn't fruitful? As long as you are doing your own thing, it will never be fruitful. You actually have to undo what you do to get fruitful. But this life is bold certain and fruitful. Is there anything about that that you wouldn't like in your life? So in order for this to be true, then I have to start being willing to take these kind of faith-filled risks to walk by faith. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk just a little bit about how the Spirit kind of trains you in terms of faith. So if you're a fast mover... Guess what the Spirit does? Yeah, slow you down. If you're a slow mover, feed you up. All right, so, and then he marries you to the opposite. So poor Lisa, I'm a fast mover. So we get to the airport. I'm at the ticket counter. She's still trying to get her purse out of the car in the parking garage. And her least favorite of all is when we go to restaurants. Because my goal at restaurant is to beat anybody in the parking lot to the hostess stand. <laughs> so even as I'm pulling in, I'm seeing who's parking. Can I take them? I see a little old lady. She's got an angle, but I can outwalk her, you know? <laughs> and I get up to the hostess stand, and they go, is your party complete? Well, she's out in the car, still getting her purse. 
Poor thing. See, it, it's awful. I'm, it's a date. And it's a date. <laughs> yes, I learned I am a bad date. And it's so amazing how, how so many of the things in our lives that in some ways you look and say, you know, why is this person like this? Or why is life like this? Until you start to go, he's trying to develop faith in me. So if I'm going to love my wife, I have to slow down. I have to, I have to, you know, walk together, even if the old lady beats us to the hostess stand. <laughs> And some of you who know, who have a character like mine, you're, you're like, you're knowing how, how miraculous even such thoughts are, <laughs> right? So here's what we begin to realize. In everything that's going on, the reason we can take these risks to change is because the Holy Spirit isn't just working in you. He's working in everybody around you. Every place you are, He is working. And so you can have this kind of confidence that says, as I unite to him, he's united to the mission of Jesus. All his power, all his tremendous wisdom and insight, his presence is at work while he's asking me to take this risk. He's, he is able to get at the heart of your family, your coworkers, your friends, everyone that he's asking you to involve yourself with. And so what we realize is that this person that he might be saying, speak to this person or you know, enter into this assignment with this person, he's already working there and he will supply you both boldness and he'll supply you words if you will supply the faith. All that you need is the faith that allows you to step up and be obedient. This again, I use this word over and over again because this is what you've got to get in your head. The work of the Holy Spirit will seem to you spontaneous. It will not seem connected to, to, what, to the way you think. His spontaneous leading, you responding to it, becomes you keeping in step with Him, and it leads to these kind of supernatural results. Some of the examples that have happened over the, over the years for me is that God will say, speak to this stranger. Or God will say, speak to this friend or this family member. And here are some of the ways that he's taught me to say it. Now, I'm going to say to you, do not get into a God accent when you talk to people. <laughs> God has said to you. <laughs> See, part of the problem that, with, you know, part of the problem is that people don't trust the results to the Holy Spirit, so they try to get leverage. So they get bigger, or they sound like you know, somebody God would sound like, or whatever. And look, if what you're saying is true, the truth itself will defend itself. You know? And if it's wrong, you don't want them to remember it. So, <laughs> That was funny. I like that one. <laughs> So here's, just, here's the way I, I, I suggest you approach. Say, say, you can even say it like this. You know, I could be wrong, but I, I just have this strong feeling or I have a sense that God wants me to tell you and then whatever it is. So you're, you're submitting it to them so that they can receive it, but they can also reject it. Look, I, I'm trying to get across to you something that's really important here. Have you ever had somebody give you a gift, but you knew the gift wasn't about you, it was about them. So you, you're, a, you're in a no-win situation. Okay, because so you either have to go over the top and say, oh, it's, it's what I always wanted, and just, you know, stroke their ego, or you have to, you have to go, you say to them, you know, I, I don't really like this, this isn't really, and then they're just utterly devastated. I did this for you, I sacrificed, I, all this stuff, and you're sitting there going, I thought this was a gift. It's starting to feel a lot like works. It's starting to feel a lot like bondage. You know, and so if, if what you're offering to them as a word, if it's not a gift, it's already screwed up. 
if you are beside yourself in rejection or trying to convince them, then you've, you've, you've proven it's not a problem with the word, it's a problem with you. Now, now listen, I have told people words before and they said, no, that doesn't resonate. And they call me three years later and go, I lied. It was completely what was going on in my life. I just didn't want anybody to know. So uh, you just, you, you submit it and then you let them deal with it. Uh, am, I, am I making sense to you on this? It's really important, okay? Then the other thing is, it could be very ordinary things. Somebody comes to your mind. Again, spontaneous faith. It comes an intersection. This person thought, instead of just dismissing it, say, Lord, what do I do with what's just come to my mind? And often for me, you'll say, call them, text them, email them, you know, go see them, whatever it is. And the number of times I can tell you, people say, Pastor, I cannot believe you called at this moment. Or I can't believe you're praying for me right now. And it, and it wasn't me. It was just leading of the Spirit. And I, instead of ignoring it, I said, this wasn't what I was thinking. This is what the Lord wants me to think. This is the Spirit leading me. So I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit. And that I've had it with strangers where just suddenly they're very noticeable to me. And it could be that something about them is noticeable or whatever it is. And, and I'll know that that sense that I have of kind of a supercharged sort of, wow, I, I'm seeing this person a little differently means I need to ask, is, would it be all right if I pray for you? You know what, and maybe it's because I'm a pastor and everybody lets me pray. Okay, but I've never had anyone go, no, I don't want you to pray. I've had everyone go, wow, you would pray for me? You would take some time and pray for me? Yes, please, pray for me. And it became a really nice touch of the Holy Spirit in their lives. See, what's happening here, and, and all of us will get a sense of boldness as we keep in step with the Spirit. The problem is it can't be fleshly boldness. It has to be wise boldness. Now again, if, if, if it's really crushing you that nobody wants what you have, it's probably a problem with you. And your boldness is probably more like arrogance, presumption, or pride. And so you've got, to, you've got even in the results that you're getting, you start to learn where your maturity needs to grow. So there has to be wisdom. There has to be humility. Again, you're just offering this. How they receive it, how they don't receive it, it's not up to you. Okay? And then what happens is the more you move in this, you encourage more the spontaneous work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Are you hearing me in this? So why, why would I want all of you to do this? Because the whole Christian life is a life of faith. Everything that's really awesome about you is the Spirit's union with you. And it's only as you submit to that union and you submit to his leadership and you start moving in faith, it's only then that you start being fully who you are. Look, in Colossians, Paul says, you receive Christ Jesus by faith. Now continue to live him, rooted, built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and over, listen, flowing, right? Overflowing with thankfulness. See, there are a lot of people I've met. I've been in the church my whole life, and I have met people who had a faith experience at an altar, or they had a faith experience, you know, in prayer, or whatever it is, but they stayed in that first year of faith for 60 years, never growing, never strengthening. You are meant, friends, and I am meant to be growing and learning every single day. I... I it grieves me. So often I meet older pastors who had fire but have no fire left. They were meant to be strengthened and growing. Just because physically you get more frail, your faith should get ever more vibrant. I don't think there'll be a day in which I'm not learning more as I follow the footsteps of the Spirit. And the fire in me, I don't, I mean, how can I say this to you? I, I feel more fire now than I did 30 years ago. 
And every week we do this flow thing, I'm learning all kinds of new things or things are starting to make sense of how he does things and of how I've grown with him in areas I still need to grow in. And, you know, I've been a stubborn follower of the Holy Spirit. So look, look at what it says here. It says, faith allows us to live in the confidence that our ministry is effective Empowered by the Spirit, activated by obedience. Even the same confident assurance that we are right with God by faith gives us confidence that Spirit-filled and Spirit-equipped ministry will be effective. Now, I'm going to tell you a bad secret on me, all right? I, always, I was always trying to be a slick, smooth preacher, okay? I mean, I, I want my words to kind of trip out of my mouth, you know, and People just go, oh, that's awesome, you know, wonderful <laughs> kind of thing. And, and I worked so hard at it. I, I, it started back in 1983, and, and around 1997, the Lord said to me, are you willing to be broken in your preaching? And I was like, what? That's the only thing I do. Well, you know, why do you want to take that away from me kind of a thing? And, and at first I was really stubborn. I was resistant, and then he and I'm like, well, you've broken me in everything else. I might as well break in this as well. And so, because a broken and contrite heart, he will not despise. And so I broke. And he said to me, okay, I want you to be mentored by this guy. Okay, now, this guy, he had the worst accent you ever heard in your life. It sounded unsophisticated. It sounded so simplistic. It's what we call in Georgia, hick. It was utterly grating, oh, so aggravated and irritated. I'm saying, God, not him. Not him. He said, yes, attach yourself to him. So, I, so I'm like, okay, I'm trying to be obedient, you know. And so this guy's like, great, Mike, we're going to get together and all this stuff. So I started getting together with him. And this one day I was getting together with him. He comes in and he goes, Mike, I have a gift for you. And I'm thinking cars, money, you know. <laughs> And he goes, I did this talk at a nursing home, and I recorded it, and it's my gift to you. And I'm like, is it your voice? <laughs> and the Lord said, listen to it. And something started to happen. I started to realize he had no confidence in himself. But he absolutely believed that he was hearing from the Spirit. He was sharing what he heard. And he didn't care how people responded. He knew it was Spirit-filled. It was Spirit-empowered. It was Spirit-equipped words. And he said, I don't want to waste a single one of them. So I recorded. He put them on cassettes and gave them out as gifts. That's your Christmas gift this year. <laughs> and I looked at that and I went, you know, Satan has had me in bondage to the approval of others to decide whether it was spirit-filled or not, whether it was spirit-equipped or not. And, and look, he didn't even pray without praying what the Spirit gave to him. The church I was pastoring was vandalized over and over again, and we began to believe it was spiritual. So we began to pray, and we called him over, and he prayed one prayer, and it was so powerful, the prayer that he prayed. We never saw another rock go through a window. We never saw any more graffiti. We never saw anybody come on the property and do vandalism. Not because he was so powerful, but he was so confident in the Spirit's power. And I changed, and I repented you know, from that moment on and said, Lord, the only words that have power are your words. And how well or badly I speak them, it's your words that have the power. You see, once you realize he gives you words, he gives you the thoughts, he gives you the actions, he does it spontaneously, yes, because you've got to listen. You can't plan him, you can't program him, you've got to listen to him, and then you've got to follow where he leads. Now, I want you to understand there's hope for all of us, because even reluctant obedience allows for supernatural results. So the greatest story of this is Peter. Peter was told by the Spirit, go to the Gentiles' house, go to the house of Cornelius the centurion, and go and preach the gospel. And Peter said, no way, Spirit. 
I've never entered into a Gentile's house. I've never eaten with them. I've never slept there. I'm not going to do it now. And the Spirit said, I'm telling you to do it. And so Peter wrestled with this. But when he got there, he, he began to open his mouth in the little obedience he had. The Spirit empowered his speech, anointed his speech. Even before he was finished, the Gentiles were coming to the altar and giving their lives to Christ. And then the Spirit revealed that they were saved by having the same sign that Peter had seen at Pentecost. They began to speak in tongues. All this stuff started to happen, and Peter's sitting there, and he's still struggling somewhat with what's going on because it doesn't fit his paradigm. Are you hearing me? See, here's the pattern. The Spirit will lead you. Even if you're reluctant, He will lead you. Now, I got to tell you, it's a whole lot better to be a dweller than to be a dipper. Because what happens to dippers is they only hear every now and then. And they only hear a little bit. But those who dwell will hear the shepherd's voice. They will know that he knows them. And they will follow him. So in every one of your lives, the Spirit is leading. Your decision, and nobody can make it for you. Your decision is, my faith will go in the direction that the Spirit is leading. See, for you to say you have faith that doesn't move in that direction is not faith. It's presumption. And presumption will get you nowhere. Then that faith moving activates obedience. And even if it's difficult for you, it's a risk for you, but you're saying, I'm going to be as obedient as I can be, then the Spirit's leading, your faith moving in that direction, your obedience that flows from that becomes supernatural results. Because there's no place that He's asking you to go that He isn't already making a way for you. Peter reluctantly went to the house of Cornelius, but once he got there, he saw the very same Spirit that had anointed him at Pentecost and baptized him and the Holy Spirit was now baptizing these Gentiles. What Peter believed could never happen was happening, and God actually used him as a spirit-equipped man of God to do it. Will you stand with me? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a, a way to pray this, and then I'm going to debrief for a minute that prayer. Okay, so would you pray this with me again? At first, it could just be words. You're just learning the words. But it's going to have to come from your heart. So I'm gonna, we're going to come back to it in just a minute. Now, if you're a dipper, this won't make any sense. But if you're a dweller, will you say this with me? I receive, I receive. the Spirit's leading. By faith, I move in His direction. I choose obedience. I have expectancy. I have certainty of supernatural results. I receive boldness, certainty, fruitfulness in the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason I wanted to just kind of debrief that prayer is we didn't ask for it. See, a lot of people will say, oh, help me, Jesus, help me, God. Look, if you're doing what he wants, he's already helping you. You don't have to ask him to do what he's already doing. Will you do this? If it's his will, he's already doing it. All you're doing is aligning your faith with what's already happening. See, the real issue here isn't whether God will do it. The real issue is if you, by an act of your will, will say, I'm going to receive the Spirit's leading. By faith, I'm going to move in His direction, which is keeping in step with the Spirit. And I will obediently respond every step of the way. And then what will happen, you see, with your faith and your obedience, you will see supernatural results. So when you pray, please start changing your prayer. 
Don't ask him for things that he's already given you. If it's clear that he wants you to do it, you don't, ask, you don't need to ask, will he do it? The one who's really the radical in this equation is you. Many people are stalling. They know they need to follow the Spirit. They know they need to keep it, but they're stalling because they want God to make it easy. Or they want it to be magic. You know, when it comes to things that have to do with your choices, it's not magic. It's an act of the will. And you can't say to me, I, you know, I didn't choose to be a dipper. I just can't help myself. That's a passive statement that tells me Satan has blinded you to your power to choose. If you're a dipper, you're a dipper because you want to be. But what I've tried to do today is to show you what a difference it is to be a dweller. Lord, we seal what you're doing in Jesus' name. I want to ask you something before you go. Um, I want to ask Sue and, and some of the staff who are here, would you come up to the front? I think some of you made a decision to be a dweller. I'd like you to tell somebody and, and let them pray for you. Uh, I think this is one of the biggest movements is to move into saying, I'm going to be led by the Spirit. And I think you need to know there are other people pulling for you in that. So we got some of our our uh, staff, we got some of our elders here. We got a little bit of time between this service and the next one. Would you come and make it this verbal? Don't, don't, li- this has been one of the teachings and messages where the Spirit has touched me so deeply. I, I tried to keep my emotions on level as I speak, spoke to you today, but I believe this is a turning point message where when you say, I'm going to keep it, see, it doesn't matter what your past was, you can start today keeping in step with the Spirit. You can start today exercising faith, and you will see supernatural results. But I believe you have to say it out loud. I don't think the, the, uh, particularly the other realm is any way subject to your thoughts. I think they're subject to your words. So would you come and would you pray with some of our people up here and just make this commitment. I'm not a dipper. I'm a dweller. And uh, pray with our folks up here. God bless you. Thank you for being here with us today.